Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. My name is Steve Dace. His name is Todd Erzin. His name is Aaron McIntyre. And uh, we appreciate all of you. Hope you had a great weekend. It was was an interesting weekend opening a movie. And uh, <laughs> I've been a part of a lot of election nights. Never though were my were I'm the candidate, or and so it's not necessarily my name on the ballot, and uh, it's pretty nerve wracking when it's the candidate that you're either supporting and or working for. I got to tell you, man, it's a whole different level when it's your name. When it's you, I'm like, I think I like being a consultant better. All right, um, I'm a, I'm gonna maybe reconsider this whole run for office one day thing. I mean, it's. Um, but um, we'll get to more of this next hour. Uh, so many people worked so hard and risked a lot. People, even on the crew, um, I, I was only half kidding when I said I, I wasn't sure what the end credits for Nefarious were going to be when the movie came out because of the strike and who was willing to have their name and everything else. And uh, nobody was a part of this movie. Nobody that didn't risk a, a, something health-wise, financially, blacklisting career prospect uh, being a part of this film. And so, so many of you on have, have gotten to me with an incredible amount of feedback. We ended opening week, the highest user review rated film that opened this weekend on Rotten Tomatoes. And when you consider the bigger budget films like Renfield, The Pope's Exorcist, et cetera, we, we are dramatically higher user review rated than either one of those films. And it's just a, uh, I'm just I'm beyond flattered at, at the response. And so next hour, uh, because a lot of your feedback is rich. It's not just likes the movie, bro. I mean, there's some rich subtext in there that will spark feedback and conversations on serious matters. Next hour, I'm gonna, we're going to set aside that hour. That would normally be our ask me anything hour. We're going to set it aside and respond to as much of the feedback that you have given us on the movie as I as I possibly can in that next hour. And, um, and that way also everybody that worked on this film, uh, from executive director, producer, yours truly to writers and directors, Carrie and Chuck to the stars, Sean and Jordan to the key grip, which is a job I've always wanted to have. I, I was on a movie set. I still don't know what the key grip does. Okay. Uh, all of us, the best boy. That's a, that seems like another cool job. You're the best boy gaffer. Okay. Uh, everyone, Wrist something and deserves to hear uh, your um, overwhelming and substantial applause for the film. And um, I, I'm going to set the next hour aside both for a chance to have a respond to what you guys thought of the movie. Uh, and then also so that those people that worked so hard, you know, in the scriptures, the Lord preserved the names of all the people that built the temple. And there was a reason for that. That work was important. And it deserved immortality. And so we gave it to them. And so their work on getting to this moment with this movie, uh, to, to be the rare independent film these days that, that, gets a, get, that has a top 10 opening weekend at the box office. And on a weekend when Hollywood re- produ- re- released five other new release films, when Mario Brothers had the second best second weekend, like of all time, I think I saw. Okay, so 
that was not an easy task to get to this point. And I, I want all of you that worked on our movie to feel the... Uh, the love and joy and admiration for Nefarious that, that is in this audience. And so I'm going to share as much of that with you and respond to you that, that shared it with us as much as possible next hour. I just want to say one last quick thing. Someone pointed out to me yesterday, and I didn't even realize it at the time. Um, hey, do you know how many people have ever had a, a book that made the, the top 10 bestseller list and a movie that was top 10 at the box office at any point in time in the same year. And I... No, I mean, frankly, uh, in my career, I've never had a reason to look something like that up or even want to know. I mean, I would assume J.K. Rowling was probably some form of executive producer for the Harry Potter films, I would guess. Probably Stephen King has been executive producer over the years for maybe a couple of the movies that were his adaptation. So you'd probably have to look at groups of people like that. But I, I don't know how many people have been able to make something like that happen in a career, let alone in a year. And it's not even May 1 of this year yet. And I mean, I just, that blew my mind when this uh, buddy of mine asked me about this. And I just, I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, I was kind of gobsmacked. So thank you. I mean, I'm just a kid born to a 15-year-old mom. Take a drink. And uh, sitting here in Hardy, Des Moines, Iowa, where it snowed yesterday on April 16th. Okay. So, um, I mean, I, I can't make any of that happen without you. I mean, you guys have been absolutely incredible to make both of those things happen. So uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart. So we'll do that next hour. Ron DeSantis's super PAC is out with an attack ad on Trump, which I find to be an interesting strategy uh, in and of itself. But we're going to review the strategy and that ad with a guy who both those campaigns would like to earn the favor of here in the Iowa caucuses in the next few months. Our good buddy, Bob Vanderblatt, he'll join us at the bottom of the hour. Before we get to Aaron's montage, though, whenever we have a brand new partner on the show, I want to make sure they get top billing to welcome them. And I want to welcome our new friends at Magic Spoon, right? So remember Seinfeld back in the day, the apartment that had the lair of all the cereal boxes? You know, I mean, I, yeah. if my stomach would allow it, I would live on cereal. Okay, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, other than chocolate chip cookie uh, it, uh, dough, it is my favorite food yes, on the planet. development ended as a 12-year-old boy, yes, I understand. Yeah, yes, I mean, I'm, I love cereal. And so Magic Spoon kind of brings you the best parts of that feeling as a kid. Um, but of course, if you are um, a, a celiac like Aaron or you're counting carbs like a lot of you are, this is something you've had to eliminate. Well, that's not true anymore with Magic Spoon. It's the high-protein cereal that, power, that powers your days. Um, they, you can get the variety pack. Four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. Uh, this pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, four to five net grams of carbs per serving, only 140 calories, high protein, so high protein, no sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free. I sampled it yesterday. And um, I brought the rest of it into Aaron because his family has uh, celiac issues. So, I mean, you guys are going to be my test dummy. But I sampled it yesterday and decided, let's go a little Reese's peanut butter cup and, move, and mix the chocolate and peanut butter together. And I got to tell you, you know, 
I was surprised at how good it was, particularly the peanut butter flavor. I mean, it was really good. Like, like you could eat it dry out of the box as a snack. Good. I was pleasantly surprised. And you know what, too? Now, I, when I eat cereal, I, eat, I use protein uh, shakes for my milk. Like, I haven't drank dairy milk. I can't remember how long it's been. So I've got the protein shake in there for the milk. And uh, I could still, that joy of the cereal bowl at the end, you know, where you, the, the, that mixed in with the milk and changed the flavor for you. I still got to experience that. So I was pleasantly surprised when I tried it yesterday. So I don't know how good the other two flavors are. Aaron, you're going to try them soon and give me a, a report. You got it. All right. As well as your thoughts on the chocolate and the peanut butter. But if you want your next delicious bowl of high protein cereal at Magic Spoon, go to magicspoon.com slash Dace, D-E-A-C-E. Use the code Dace for $5 off the variety pack. That's magicspoon.com slash Dace. And use the promo code Dace to save $5 off the variety pack at magicspoon.com slash Dace. All right, let's get to it. Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Surrender Now Before It's Too Late. Don Trump Jr., fresh off the heels of endorsing transgenderism for those over the age of 18, was back at it again this weekend, taking aim at what's been a fairly successful boycott of Bud Light. This is one like we're dunking on them now, but when you actually look into it, they'd be one of the more conservative-leaning companies in America. So they've been put on notice I'm leaving them alone. I think you should probably do the same. In addition, the Daily Beast reported yesterday that the National Republican Congressional Committee quietly deleted a fundraising page Saturday that took aim at Bud Light. Of course, this all stems from the boycott of Bud Light for desecrating their own product with the face of mental illness. Remember, the only people, most of the people running the GOP hate more than Democrats are you. Ron DeSantis was in New Hampshire late last week at a speaking engagement when the stage he was standing on was rushed by a singular protester. If you looked at governor races, president races, 2010, 12, 14, 16, 18, yeah, thank you. Um, Jews against DeSantis! Jews against DeSantis! Why you'd want to pay the ticket to get in just to do that, I don't know, but different strokes for different folks. He also made these comments, among numerous others, in New Hampshire. I also said, you know what? Uh, when I take office, I am not doing any polls to tell me about different issues. And to this day, I've never taken a single poll as governor about any issue that I've dealt with in the state of Florida. Leaders don't follow polls. Leaders get ahead and they lead and they deliver results and then the polls move in their direction. Back in Florida, that state's legislature took another step towards introducing the death penalty to child rapists as the Florida House passed a bill that would do so. One of the bill's co-sponsors is State Representative Jessica Baker, who made her closing pitch in favor of the bill last week. There is no earthly redemption for somebody who rapes a small child. Only God can save them. And in Florida, we should be eager to arrange that meeting. Members, I ask for your support, and with that, I close. 
That bill now heads to the Senate for deliberation tomorrow. Just last week, of course, DeSantis signed that six-week baby-killing ban as well. And also, Disney is tucking their tail between their legs after it was discovered their last-ditch attempt to retain power over their special governing region is basically null. So, again, stacking W's all over the place once more. Mike Pompeo announced he's not running for president in 2024. And now your feel-good story of the day. At the NRA convention in Indianapolis a few days ago, former Vice President Mike Pence was booed as he began his speech. Hello, NRA. I love you, too. Transportation Department Rear Admiral Pete Buttigieg says roads are racist and roads are shooting at us. We've got a crisis when it comes to roadway fatalities in America. We lose about 40,000 people every year. It's a level that's comparable to gun violence. And we see a lot of racial disparities, black and brown Americans, tribal citizens and rural residents much more likely to lose their lives, whether it's in a car or as a pedestrian being hit by a car. There are a lot of reasons uh, related to discrimination, related to uh, even the ways that roads are designed and built. Who has access to uh, a safe street design? Washington state passed a bill allowing children to legally be taken away from their parents for not consenting to meatball surgery and chemical castration for gender for their child, according to Senate Bill 5599. Shelters could contact the Department of Children, Youth, and Families instead of parents for minors seeking such surgeries and seeking to kill their babies. On the other hand, UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is now Winston Churchill on the matter of transgenderism. Sir Keir said recently that 99% of women, I quote, of course haven't got a penis, he said. What percentage would you put it at? I have <laughs> so, a slightly different point of view to him on this. And I, like, I've been very clear that when it you know, on this on this topic, it's hundred percent. Yeah, I've got. But I think the first thing to say is that we we should always have compassion and understanding and tolerance for those who are thinking about their gender. Of course we should, right? We're a compassion and understanding societies and we will always remember that. Uh, but when it comes to these issues uh, of uh, protecting women's rights, women's spaces, I think the issue of, of biological sex is fundamentally important. And finally, if you can trans your toddler, why can't you trans your dog? We wanted to do like a gender transition. But we don't want to know here. I'm this sorry, question. I don't authorize you to be recording. So no, we're, we're just filming a documentary for his transition. No, no, the, you guys don't offer sex no. changes here? Yeah. That would be, yeah. Those are the specialists. That's very transphobic. What do you mean? Let me explain to you. So basically, like, Right. It's a male dog, but every time, if we put a, if we put a tutu in front of him, he'll put it on right away. We're not a behavioral clinic. Yeah. We are a general clinic. Well, I wouldn't call that behavior, though. We were saying gender identity is behavioralism. No, no. I want you to leave. This is my property. I want to leave the premises. Okay? I'm going to show you for trespassing if you continue to stay. We can't do a gender transition. I'm just telling you, you got to leave the property. And that's what happened while we were away. <laughs> the look of Al Sharpton and the look of that dog. Yes. That should have been the number one movie this weekend. That right there. That is. At, who's responsible for that? I don't know. I tried to find. I that can... is incredibleness. <laughs> Coming with the pink tutu. That's trans my dog. And the look at Al Sharpton's face, like, hey, MFR, I have dropped 
some absolutely ridiculous racist poop back in the day, but I've never heard anything like racist roads. He's got that look on his face. Like, what? This is where we live. What folks. are you talking about? Oh my. Can I trans my dog? Greatness. Absolutely great. So are our friends over at Constitution Wealth Management. They've helped our listeners so far align about $10 million with their conservative values in just uh, about two months of being on the show. So if you want to be the next to sign up and figure out how can I stop the false choice of putting my portfolio at war with my principles? Um, my, my prince, my, my profits at war with my principles. How can I align those things? They will help you do that at constitution wealth. All right. Um, we are in a culture of biblical proportions, put your wealth to work in that war and earn a profit at the exact same time. Go to constitutionwealth.com slash Steve book an appointment today. Get your retirement investments. For example, align with your values right now. Help us to build the parallel economy together. Uh, that's constitutionwealth.com slash Steve constitutionwealth.com slash Steve. All right, let's get to Aaron's montage. I still can't get over trans my dog and the look on Al Sharpton's face. Man, to be a thought bubble as the white gay guy from South Bend, Indiana is talking about racist roads to Al Sharpton. All right. Uh, in fact, let's start there for a moment. Be serious for just a second. You can't share country with any of that. Like, like even if they don't mean it. Like, even if it's just like, you know, one of the worst pandering narratives ever constructed, one of the cringiest pa pandering narratives that's ever been constructed. In fact, I could argue if they don't mean it, it's even worse. Because if it's, it is one thing, you know, it's the old Obi-Wan line, who's the bigger fool, the fool or the fool who follows him, right? Mm -hmm. It is one thing to look into the abyss and decide, Abaddon seems nice this time of year, and belly flop in. That, that, that's pretty terrible, right? An argument could be made it is more terrible to know belly flopping into Abaddon is bad, not do it yourself, but then cynically need to peddle belly flopping into Abaddon is good for your own personal game. You just described Don Jr. Well, we're going to get to that in a minute, too. What, what, is the, what is the more, you know, Charlie Kirk asked me on his show last week when we were talking about Nefarious. What's more dangerous uh, to America, the, the people that are directly under demonic influence or the believers who don't want to admit there is direct demonic influence at work in the culture right now? And I said the latter, in my opinion, because the, the latter is supposed to be the group that has the antidote to this. So to withhold that, to hold that back from the culture, that's even worse than to succumb to it, in my view. I don't know what's worse than this one. I just know both of them are not shareable. Whether one of the most high-profile figures of the Dementia Administration truly believes the roads are, ra are cisgendered and racist, or whether he just thinks, man, I just got to come up with something else to use these dumbass talking points to my completely gullible and ass-clown base. Either one of those propositions make you sleep better tonight over at the Urzen's mm -hmm. no. homestead? No. They're not, as, not, neither is especially comforting. They're both very terrible places to be as a culture. You cannot share a culture with any of that. And that kind of racialist insanity, we need to do 
to the white woke community what was once done to the white hood community. There was a time. It's unthinkable now, right? There was a time you could like open, even into the early 20th century in some places, you could openly run for office as a white hood. And nobody was ashamed, or if they were, they were afraid to speak up. That seems unfathomable here in 2023, right? Mm. So the last generation made the white hood untenable for public consumption in America. This generation must make the white woke untenable for public consumption in America, or there will not be a next generation. It, it, you may have another generation of people living on this landmass, but I can promise you they won't be Americans, if you know what I'm trying to say. They might be citizens of the United States of woke, but they're not Americans. That has to be driven punitively out of the arena of ideas. That can't be tolerated on any level. That has to be crushed into talcum powder. Trampled underfoot. Mocked, humiliated, scorned, defeated, scourged. In, in, in an arena of ideas, metaphorical case, obviously. Which brings me to Don Jr. Yep. Now, last week I tried to give him some benefit of the doubt on the I'm pretty liberal on the tranny thing. I think that's going too far. But I also did say, hey, probably not an uncommon position even on the right that, hey, if you want to, you know, you want to, you know, you want an island of Dr. Moreau yourself, you're welcome to do that. But you just can't Epstein Island the kids, right? Kind of that position. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's probably an uncommon position. You know, the right is growing increasingly secular and irreligious as well, just at a slower pace as the left, which almost fully is. But you, you, I, I did say, though, last week, you can't go so far as to say I, I'm liberal as bleep on the issue. You can't do that. You can't, you can't, you can say the, you know, it, right now the kids are the higher priority. We don't have time to take this all the way up the food chain. We've got to stop this right now that it's filtered down to our children and, and maybe not think it's your business to get involved in someone else's, you know, psychosis, even if it's self-mutilization. Fine. But you can't go so far as to say you're okay with it. That you can't do, right? That was kind of the point mm-hmm. that I made last week. Well, now this is week two. And I was looking at the podcast ratings recently, and I'm like, man, Don Jr. went from the top 10 to like 70 spots behind us. And I'm trying to figure out how. Well, I hadn't seen this clip yet. So now I kind of understand, all right? And, and keep in mind, of all the Trump adult children, he's the one that has been the most in tune with us the last Five or six years, the most willing to speak to our issues, the most out front on the cultural issues. It's been him. And there is there. there. This only happens in the Republican Party. It doesn't happen in the Democratic Party. There's two reasons for it. Oh, let, let me define what it is. There's a reason most primary cycles, unless it is somebody I personally know, like a Chip Roy. There is a reason most primary cycles I tend to get behind whoever the new hotness is. And it's not because I have a short attention span. It's the opposite. It's because I have a photographic and long memory of an elephant. No pun intended. There is a unique thing with the Republican Party. 
that it is a living stone testimonial to one of the greatest lines of dialogue that's been written in the last 25 years of American cinema. In my opinion, anyway. You either die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. You are watching MAGA Inc. essentially become like that which you initially elevated it to oppose. And it's happened before. Happened to the Tea Party movement. By the end of their first full legislative session in the Congress, they, had, they were actually the biggest spending Congress in American history. This is, this is routine in this party. There's a, there's a, there is a certain King David analogy here. David was always his best when he was not yet fully in power. Waging war to, def- to, to defend Israel before um, and defend himself equally from Saul. Uh, the uniting of the 12 tribes. Later on when he had to recover his crown from his son Absalom. David was usually at his worst when he had the power. United. Under him. See Bathsheba. And then the springtime when kings went off to war. David stayed behind, noticed the hottie on the bridge, had his way with her, and then tried to get her husband killed on the front lines. This story has been told, it's a tale as old as time. Somebody you and I both know and and personally like, Rick Santorum is an example of this. Rick Santorum was the Ted Cruz of the 1990s and early 2000s of the Republican Party. Fair? Yeah. He was the number one go-get speaker on the conservative organizational fundraiser speaker tour then they put him in leadership and he and he tried to negotiate deals to back christy todd whitman and arlen specter remember that yes and i think he ran for iowa in iowa for a year before people stopped calling him rick santorum who endorsed arlen specter once i mean he literally couldn't go anywhere i've been getting asked about that there's this happens to everybody who gets control in this party on a national level They get control saying it's about you. And then once they have control, you're about them. And so Ronna is Ronna Romney McDaniel is only chairwoman of the Republican Party because Trump backed her. If he had backed his attorney instead, she'd have won. So that's his RNC chair out there backing down on Anheuser-Busch. That's his namesake, man. His scion. That's Junior out there saying back off. This happens every time in this party. And I think the the main reason it happens here and we're not the movement that they have on the Democratic side is pretty simple. And I've I've examined this uh, much of my career. What is it, man? Why are the what's the irreligious party so religiously convicted and the party that has the more religious convictions acts and behaves so irreligiously? Why is the party for centralization and consolidation so locally controlled and the party that says it believes in subsidiarity and locally controlled so centrally controlled? I I, I couldn't understand it for years and I finally came to this conclusion. Tell me what you think. That the the, the answer was simple and right in front of my face. See, they can get everything they want on the other side subsidized by somebody in government, something in government. We can't. We can get something subsidized by government, but a lot of times our things have to be subsidized by people in corporate America. And in the last 30 years, corporate America has gone way left of the Republican base, 
on culture war issues and is largely full-on woke at the current moment. And so once you get control of the Republican Party, you know you can't just print off money from a fake government agency, NGO, NGA, and that will just subsidize your, 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 your vision quest, and that'll keep you really principled. You know what I'm saying? You, the, you, I mean, who, how's the lights? How are the lights going to stay on? We got to go to the very corporatist interests that have moved to the left as the rest of us have all moved to the right. And you don't feel that tension until you're in charge and now you're responsible for keeping the lights on. You're responsible for making things happen. You're responsible for the, having the funding necessary to, yeah, because romance without finance is a nuisance. I think that's the reason why more than anything else. You heard it from Don Jr. Hey, this is a Republican company. Why are we boycotting them? So in other words, Democrat company wants to castrate kids, go after them. Republican company wants to castrate kids, leave them alone. We need the money. That tension can't hold. The center won't hold on that. And I think that explains a lot of the division in this party over the last generation. You guys have a quick thought on that? Well, Don Jr. is trying to, I don't know if he understands it or not, he's trying to do Aristotle's golden mean like, you know, there's crazies on both sides. Let's all come together right, and right. let's mega and be Americans. But you can't do a golden mean when one side is the good, the true, and the beautiful, and the other side is wicked. That's impossible. I again, agree. As you say. Yeah. So not, not co-equal co, co belligerence. Furthermore, yes. the antidote here is clear. I pivoted before and I said, you're talking about Don Jr. You know, well, now there's an antidote to this, and it's Ron DeSantis. I don't do polling. There's right and there's wrong, and I'm going to go do it. And you can't convince me otherwise. And if you want to get on board and help me, that's fine. The rest is crazy. He's the antidote. He's also the number one fundraiser in the Republican Party right now. Yeah, something, huh? Weird. So you can just, you can move polls. You don't have to be governed by him. You can move your fundraiser. Not all of them, but you can move enough donors yes. if you're good at this. Not to take the false choice. You don't. I've been saying this my entire career. It's just almost no Republicans taking me up on it. Just in case this were to ever happen, I mean, you never know, global pandemic, a mysterious unknown origin, find out early on that a couple of venerable cheap medications, uh, if you're detected early enough, can help mitigate against the severest of symptoms said virus causes. Shortly after finding out that information, the system scrambles to have these venerable public, these venerable, venerable uh, medications that they once gave public recommendations like, I don't know, Nobel uh, Prizes to uh, be smirched, discredited, banned. Um, and they go eight months without any substitute treatment protocols. And then the one they give you is a failed cancer drug with a black box warning that you know, turns your kidneys to nards. And then they roll out six months after that with a deadly not vaccine that destroys your immune system, your reproductive capability. And that's not when it's, you know, giving you a big heart and not because you've become more compassionate in your old age. That'd be a hell of a plot line. I just came up with that off the top of my head here. Talk about a vivid imagination. 
Just in case something like that were to ever happen, make sure you're prepared with our friends over at Jace Medical. J-A-S-E, get the Jace case, doctor created, doctor recommended, of some of the most venerable antibiotics known to man, just in case something like what I just, you know, spontaneously laid out for you ever happens to go down, have the peace of mind of knowing that at least you've got the Jace case in your medicine cabinet. Uh, Jace Medical, J-A-S-E, J as in jump at this right now, jacemedical.com, enter the code DACE at checkout for your order for a discount on that order. Discount code DACE at jacemedical.com. Let's welcome in our good friend, Bob Vanderplatz. I'm a family leader. Good to see you, brother. How are you? I'm very blessed. Congratulations on your weekend. What a great weekend. It was a, it, I, I, I was kidding before you came on. I'm going to get much more into this next hour, but you have been a candidate. I've not. I've I've been with you when you've been on the ballot. Sure. Okay. On on the night when your fate was getting determined, I've been with yeah. you on those nights. But you know, I've. I mean, it's a nervous wreck. You know, either being, um, you know, a, a, like working for or supporting the person on the ballot. All right. I got to tell you, man. <laughs> when it's your name on the ballot. This really sucks. It, it, it really does. I mean, you're pouring over every piece of data and then you're like, I got to stop looking at any of this. All right. And a few hours go by and you're like, I got to look at it all. I mean, it's, it's a, it, it's a fairly horrible way to live. Okay. I mean, it, it I mean, it, it's totally different when it's your name on the ballot. I got to say that, yeah. man, it, it's, it's a great deterrent. Uh, from ever choosing to run for office, actually. You're, you're different than me, though. You're like me in one way is that you lay it all on the field. You do everything that you can to be successful and then let the results come in. Uh, but for me, when the results started coming in, I told our team, I said, hey, let me know. Give me some you know, points of reference at different times. But I'm not watching all these votes come in. I'm not going to relive this, this process at this time. And I remember them coming in in 2010. If, and if we lost the third district by five points or less, I would be the governor nominee. And also they come in and said, we won it by five points. I, I remember. I thought you were going to be and the nominee. Like, yeah. This is it. Yeah. You know? And so then we did pay a little bit more close attention. But uh, yeah, it is. It's different when your name's on the line. Well, maybe I've learned that lesson. Next time, don't pay attention to anything. Don't yeah. pay attention until the weekend's take, over. Then yeah. take a look at it and see what happened and do your own analysis at that point. Well, speaking of campaigns... We have, I guess, you know, he, he's still not going to be a candidate until June. He's doing fundraisers around the country right now, DeSantis. He's just doing one in New Hampshire. Oh, this is DeSantis. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> My understanding is that they're going to they're gonna have a presidential war chest well north of $100 million when they when they the, the, the day they start that doesn't okay. surprise me it, and it shouldn't surprise you either i mean he's governor of florida right, right. he just went through a nationalized raised, raised, raised 200 million in a, in a in a big campaign and a exactly. real exactly where he was favored to win the entire time it's just going to yeah. be a matter of what's the margin of victory right and so our, remind me the law until he declares the campaigns and super PACs can talk to each other is that how it works and then once you're a declared candidate then there has to be that wall of separation or does it always have to be a wall of separation? there always has to be a wall always. of separation okay. because if there's a campaign apparatus available at all, now if there's no campaign apparatus and he's doing everything with us, they can talk all they want. Mm -hmm. But as soon as there's a campaign apparatus and there's a, and you can have a campaign apparatus going right now, even though you're not officially running, right, so right, to speak. Right. But they cannot talk to each other at that point. All right, I wanted to clarify that because his super PAC, this is the Cuccinelli super PAC, right? His super PAC, we're going to watch it in a second, came out with their first ad and it's actually an attack ad against Trump. And so I wanted to know right away how much crossover there can be between those entities, because is this just the super PACs ad? 
and I believe a guy you and I know very well, Jeff Rowe, is running that Super PAC, right? Sure. Um, and so is it just the Super PAC's ad, or is it also the DeSantis' team's ad with a wink and a nod? But you're telling me from the jump, they have to have a, that wall of separation. Well, there's no doubt there's, there's a wall of separation. But you and I also know that they better have each other's best interests at heart mm-hmm. and in mind. Mm-hmm. So they would want to do nothing that would compromise the candidate at this point as well or disqualify him for any purpose or reason. So they, they're they in sync. They just can't coordinate. And just to tell people what this is like, I mean, I, I was on the, the cruise campaign. Friends of mine were on the super PAC. And so like for like six months, I didn't say anything in any formal conversation to Chip Roy or Kellyanne Conway other than, hello, how is your family? Sure. Okay. Because those things were like, had to be adamantly and strictly yeah. enforced. firewalls. Yeah. You couldn't even like, so what do you guys think? You know what yeah. I mean? So there was always a fear that, you know, that stuff would, and in an era where apparently you're guilty of 34 felony counts for paying off a porn star and, and not putting it on your, um, a disclosure form. I mean, you better be adamant about that kind of stuff, right? You have to be. I remember when we got asked in the 2016 race saying, listen, uh, it's all Trump, but there's no ground game. Mm -hmm. Is there any way you can help us out? And I said, there's a way I can help you out, but I can't talk to you. Mm -hmm. And the reason is if I talk to you, that's coordination. So Mm -hmm. therefore, we have to stop. So therefore, we did our own thing. I think it turned out really well uh, for Trump and for his campaign purposes, but we couldn't talk with the campaign. That's coordination. So you can't do it at that point. Okay. All right. Here is, at least as far as I'm aware, the first attempt by anything associated with Ron DeSantis to uh, publicly hit back at Donald Trump. Donald Trump is being attacked by a Democrat prosecutor in New York. So why is he spending millions attacking the Republican governor of Florida? Trump's stealing pages from the Biden-Pelosi playbook, repeating lies about Social Security. Here's the truth from Governor Ron DeSantis. We're not going to mess with Social Security as Republicans. What did Trump say? Entitlements ever be on your plane? At some point they will be. We will take a look at that. Trump should fight Democrats, not lie about Governor DeSantis. What happened to Donald Trump? Never back down, Inc. is responsible for the contents of this ad. So I have given no public opinion of this ad at all. And I wanted to wait till we got here to the show and discuss it with you. And I'm going to ask you your opinion before I give mine. What do you think? I think it's really well done. And what's really well done is the part that it leaves you with. What happened to Donald Trump? Meaning there's a lot of people that like Donald Trump. They want to vote for him. They remember that the Trump administration is way better off than the Biden administration. They're saying now you got a guy, a rock star in Governor Ron DeSantis, and most of the Republican base, and a lot, matter of fact, a lot of the country believes Ron DeSantis is a rock star as governor of Florida. So what are you doing attacking him? He's actually moving the ball. He's advancing. He's, he's taking ground on the agenda. He just signed the heartbeat bill in Florida. He's taken on Disney. He's taken on the public education system. He's taken on the woke mafia, so to speak. He's doing all the things that the COVID response uh, the vaccination, taking a look at all those. He's doing a lot of things that conservatives want him to do. And also you got Trump going after DeSantis and they're calling that out. Listen, you got all these allegations coming out against you. You should be focused on that. Get those things settled. But instead, you're being the, the mouthpiece, basically, for Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden going after Ron DeSantis. And then you end it with. Uh, what happened to Donald Trump. And this is the first time I saw that ad. To, so you can tell how much does it stick. The 30 seconds, you can remember all those pieces. So I think it's a well done ad. Here's, I, I agree with you. It's a well done ad. If, if this is the beginning of a narrative. 
if it's a one-off, eh, it's a, it's still a good ad, but eh. But if we're crafting a narrative, see, the hardest thing, I think, I've been involved in a lot of primary fights, folks. These are much harder elections to win against an incumbent Republican than a Democrat. Here's why. And and you know this, being involved in primaries now as an activist, being a primary challenger as a candidate, it is hard to go to the same people that have been voting for the same guy over and over again for how many decades and convince them that suddenly the guy they voted for is a hack. In other words, you're an idiot who made a terrible vote all these years. That That is a hard needle to thread, right? It is a hard and, needle. And that's why, you know, our old friend who ran your campaign, him and I didn't disagree on a lot, but one day we got into a shouting match at a deli over this, <laughs> okay? Because he was convinced the only people that would vote in your gubernatorial primary were the same Republicans that always voted, and they wouldn't want to hear anything bad said about Terry Branstead, who they voted for, for governor for four times. And mm-hmm. I, I said to him, I go, if, if those are the only people who are going to vote, get out of the race now. You can't win. Exactly. You need new people to come to the polls that don't, that, that have no, you know, mystery. The idea that we win as conservatives with low turnouts is wrong. We win with higher turnouts. Yep. Low turnouts are the, your base. Yes, are the same blue hairs. I'm, I'm in between puffs on my Paul Malls. I'm watching Hannity talk about Mark Rich's emails tonight. Okay. Those people show up at every Republican primary. And that's how you get Lindsey Graham for 30 years, guys. Yeah. Okay. Lindsey Graham goes on Hannity every night to get to the bottom of it because he knows that's where his base is. All right. And, and we need actually high turnouts because that's now where different forms of people, different kinds of activists, people that haven't always voted in primaries are now angry, ornery, engaged and showing up. Right. Mm-hmm. That's where we did well. We had the highest turnout Iowa caucus of all time and in, in the last cycle. And the two insurgent candidates, Cruz and Trump, were the top two candidates in that race. Not a coincidence. OK. And remember, Trump was supposed to bring all the new people to the race. And Cruz and, brought quite a few, too. And yeah. he was supposed to win by five. Cruz yeah. wins by four. A nine point turnaround. Why? Because Cruz expanded the base That's to the Iowa we, caucuses. We need to expand the GOP base. You bet. Not just rely solely on it, actually. Because a lot of our people don't vote in primaries. So he's got a DeSantis has a difficult case to make. Okay. I mean, Donald Trump has his faults. I've got no problem talking about him. He also has delivered on some very meaningful things for Republican primary voters. Right. And so what, what's the needle to thread here? If the narrative is, man, that was our guy. What happened to him? Now you're putting it on him. Now I'm not going to ask millions of Trump voters around the country to come to to change their minds about whom they voted for in the past. I'm going to show them he changed who he is. He changed. You didn't change. You were right. You were right to back him. I was I, I wouldn't even be Florida governor without him. But again, guys, they get here long enough. Now they're yeah. telling you don't protest Bud Light, let him yeah. go. Okay. How many rhinos has he endorsed? Just Man, what happened to that guy? And what, I think that's a powerful narrative. And what happened to Donald Trump that he's taking on the Democrat establishment talking points against a very successful governor, Ron DeSantis? And it's not loss on Ron DeSantis or the Super PAC or his campaign that any time Trump goes after DeSantis in one of his big rallies, mm-hmm. the crowd goes, goes definitely silent. Yeah. silent. Yeah. So what it is, is they're, they're playing off of that saying, why is he attacking Ron DeSantis? What's happened to this guy? I thought he, sh- he should be championing this stuff. He should be cheering me on for this stuff and say he's attacking me. Why? Because what he's really saying, it's all about Donald Trump. It's not about advancing the ball. 
what happened to Donald Trump. I think, you, though, to make that case, you can't come right out and say it like that. Sure. I think you have to beg the question, which is, man, what happened to Trump? And I think it's what they do. They and do I it think, well. And, and it, so that's why if this is the opening salvo of a narrative that's going to be discussed by the DeSantis crowd prevalently between now and next February when we have the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary, I think this could be a very... In, in a very effective narrative in trying to thread that needle. Now, how receptive of a narrative will be, that I don't know. But to me, it seems, I think it, if it's a narrative, it's the best narrative to, tr- to question Trump without looking like you're going against him and therefore his base at the same time. Yeah. And you know this as well as I do. There's no ad that just shows up because it's like, a, hey, this would be a great ad. Let's put this thing together and let's run and see if it sticks. Mm-hmm. This thing was poll tested. Over and over and over oh, if I know, and over if again. If I know Jeff Rowe, they, they well, absolutely focus group this talking point on several times. And yeah. what they also know is that they need to put a fracture into Trump's base. Mm-hmm. And by putting a fracture into Trump's base, you need to question, what happened to Donald Trump, the guy that I like, the guy that I voted for, the guy that moved the embassy to Jerusalem, the guy that spoke at Sanctity of Human Life rallies, the guy that did all these things that we really, really like. What happened to this guy that now he's attacking a governor that's taking his ideas in Florida, but don't bring them to another level? I think they're doing it in a brilliant way. The one thing hiring these cruise people, you know, we all got our asses kicked by Donald Trump, okay? And all of us have the scars to show that. But the one thing that the, the Cruz campaign... I don't believe I did. I think we won. You in did? Iowa. Oh, yeah. Okay, in Iowa. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll um, take that victory. Um, I'm undefeated against him, <laughs> even in a Twitter war. <laughs> but the one, I mean, so I don't know. I, I win. He loses. Um you did finally listen to him when he said, take all the credit, right? All the <laughs> I, credit, I, I, I just want to make sure we all remember this. You know, I won. Uh, but the, uh, the thing that we did, that the Cruz campaign did do well is it, it knew it didn't have to get the majority of Liberty voters over Rand Paul. It just had to get some of them that were sure. wondering, oh, I mean, making deals with Mitch McConnell. I mean, come on. What, that's not what Ron would do, right? Yeah. We got enough of those. Probably not going to out evangelical Mike Huckabee, Rick Santorum, and all those guys at the same time, but I just got to get enough of them, right? And that was essentially our coalition in Iowa, yep. right? We had enough of the evangelicals. We took enough away from the from Ron Paul's base of people who thought Rand had kind of gotten a little bit soft, you know, that whole thing where he ran out of the camera that you reminded me about with Steve King when the immigration mm-hmm. question came up and stuff, and just put enough doubts in enough people's minds that they're open for business. And I can see that plan starting here, right? How, well, there's, I just got to get a certain percentage of MAGA people that are just like, yeah. I think the old man's lost his yeah. fastball, time to move on. I don't have to get them all, even a majority, I just got to get some. And what, what's happening, you're seeing the race shape up already. Uh, Mike Pompeo announces I'm not running. Were you surprised? I know you know him well. Yeah, you know, I was very surprised because our base really likes him. And they, if, matter of fact, if our base could say, this is the guy we want to be our presidential nominee, I think they would have chose Mike Pompeo. Now, not that that means they all would have ran around him and say, that's our guy. They just liked him that much. They thought he's the most prepared to be president. But he's not, he's no longer in the race. So therefore that opens up that lane. You just need to pick up enough of that lane, pick up all these other pieces, put enough questions into the Trump supporters about, is he really the guy to move the ball forward? Or do you want to go with a champion, a guy that's 45 years old and governor of Florida, who shows I can get into different constituencies. That's where I think DeSantis' best bet is. And, and the show, as Cruz showed, the reason people left Huckabee and Santorum for Cruz, they saw Huckabee and Santorum did not have the resources to go the distance to, to, long yeah, term. Yeah. What DeSantis is going to show, I have the distance 
I mean, I have the resources to compete long term. That's going to be a big deal to the voters. And you're seeing Trump trying trying to do this to DeSantis, questioning his record, sure. using those talk. He's not really who you think he is. So I think you're beginning to now see how this thing is going to play once DeSantis gets in the race this summer, what the next six months or so are going to look like. These kind of dueling narratives. It's going to be fascinating. It will be fascinating. Good to see you, brother. Thank you. Good to see you as well. All right. Hour two. So much feedback on Nefarious. We're going to discuss as much of it as we possibly can. And it's got some really great insights. So stay tuned. back here with hour two live and on demand here on blaze tv radio and podcast steve dace here alongside totters and aaron mcintyre and all of you and all of you can let us know hopefully though not all at once what you think about what we think by emailing the show steve at stevedace.com that's d-e-a-c-e like us on facebook me we and gab follow me at steve day show on twitter getter instagram and tiktok and you can also find me over on Truth Social at Real Steve Dace there. Also, if you are a podcast listener, thank you so much. You're a big part of the show and our audience. Please, if you have yet to do this, leave us a five-star review. Hit subscribe or follow as well. Thank you to all of you that have done so. Also, want to mention uh, that our sponsors for this segment, our partners, are over at Relief Factor. Everyone deals with pain from time to time. It's one of the few guarantees we have in life, especially if we have a long life. Uh, And that's why when it happens, there's two kinds of pain, clinical and chronic, right? If you're suffering from clinical pain, make sure you go see uh, a, you know, a licensed physician for professional medical care. But if you're suffering from the chronic variety, and a lot of times that's too much inflammation in the joints, check out our friends over at Relief Factor. It's drug-free, but it was designed by doctors who can prescribe drugs. They offer you the three-week starter kit for just 20 bucks, And you're going to find out, I'm guessing if you try it, why about 70% of those who do try it for the for the starter period end up sticking with it because of the market improvement that they see it's just 20 bucks to see if you don't see a difference in your pain your chronic pain in three weeks or less when you go to relieffactor.com once again that is relieffactor.com or you can call them if that's easier 800 for relief that's 800 the number four relief or relieffactor.com So over the weekend, a moment that, let's face it, some of you thought was never going to happen after years of discussing it. And there were times I didn't think it was going to happen either. But a moment that we have long waited for finally happened. Nefarious opened in theaters nationwide. And it has, you know, as the Grateful Dead once sang, what a long, strange trip it's been, okay? As the Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. I mean, it has been a strange, mercurial, often painful journey, uh, but also hugely rewarding uh, to get to this point. And along the way, I've just had a chance to, to meet some absolutely fantastic people um, that I didn't even know existed. I mean, I, I you know, just give you an example. Um, met a wonderful woman named Ramona DeSalvo. And she's one of the legal beagles over at the Daily Wire. And she used to be with Convention of States, 
got introduced to her through the movie. She fell in love with the movie, um, even came all the way from Nashville to Dallas for our premiere a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure this is why, but I'm, I'm guessing she might have something to do with the Daily Wire donating six figures of free advertising to us for the movie last week. Um, just got a chance to meet a lot of people like that. And so it's been challenging, difficult, taking longer than we ever wanted to to get here, but it's been incredibly rewarding at the same time. And we weren't really sure what to expect. We had all of our forecasts internally, but there aren't a lot of independent films these days. Even a lot of Christian movies aren't independent these days, whether they go through a pure flicks or uh, the recent Jesus Revolution movie that went through Lionsgate. So this isn't the 90s anymore. You know, this isn't the era of Sundance where the independent film reigns supreme. You don't see a lot of these kinds of efforts. So we weren't really sure what to expect, especially on one hand, we have this movie called Super Mario Brothers, which I hear is great. And I'm looking forward to seeing now. Um, I mean, it, it had, you know, like MCU Endgame, real Star Wars movie level of open and second week when they still knew how to make Star Wars movies. So we got this thing just destroying the box office in, in, a, in a tier by itself. You still have some hold, holdover uh, blockbusters like Creed 3 and John Wick 4 still out there. And now all of a sudden here come these six movies, counting ours, that get released in theaters around the country. There's only so many theaters, guys. There's only so many screens. And even getting to nearly a thousand screens, I think our final number was 933, I want to say. I can't remember if it was 993 or 933. It's something in that range. Um, that's still 65% fewer theaters on average than all the other new releases that came out this week were granted. 65%. That's a lot. So we're, we're up against, we're, we're an independent. We're a film that has, that's, that's a fully, fully embraces a biblical worldview just with a tone that people that, that go to biblical worldview movies aren't used to. And it has the tone that people that don't go to biblical worldviews are used to. <laughs> so we're trying to, can we thread that audience? You know, can we do that? Um, and we're completely outgunned and outmanned, you know, uh, when it comes to, you know, platform size. So we weren't really sure what to expect. And somehow, and, and I got to be honest, man, Saturday midday, it wasn't looking great. But things really picked up Saturday night into Sunday. From Saturday night on, our um, our per screen average rose, I think, 130-something percent. And we ended up somehow, despite all of those obstacles, and, you know, tr trash films like The Pope's Exorcist, which trashes the church, for example, while claiming to be, uh, there's a reason why they didn't want to let Father Carlos Martins screen the movie, because they didn't want to get outed what the movie really is. So, but these movies also, I know some of you saw like their ads on WrestleMania. These movies have 10 to one marketing budgets over ours. It's not even close. So somehow we eked out a top 10 finish at the box office over the weekend. Last I saw we were ninth and we survive. We get to stay in theaters another week. Now you guys, this week will be the one that will determine our, our true longevity. So if you've not yet seen the film and look and knowing how many people download this podcast every day, some of you in this movie have not, some of you in this audience have not seen it yet. 
If you have seen it and you're willing to go back, I just got an email from somebody. Here's the best endorsement I can give you for a movie. I already saw it twice and I'm going to see it a third time next week. And I said, you're right. That is the best endorsement you can give the movie. <laughs> okay. But this is now where you guys got us here. Um, you guys, uh, You guys got us those screens when they tried to take them away. The demand that you showed in the movie got us those screens. Um, and now you guys are going to determine, uh, be our ambassadors, word of mouth. We're wondering if maybe that's why we really saw a climb in our per screen average. Because a lot of the other films that came out this weekend, their per screen average is dipped after Friday. Meaning that people went responding to the bigger budget of bigger marketing budgets and then saw these films were not that good. And that word of mouth kind of went down. It, it looked like the Pope's Exorcist was going to open at a lot bigger than $8 million. Uh, on Friday, but it's word of mouth was not good. Our word of mouth is excellent. We're the highest user reviewed film over at Rotten Tomatoes uh, that came out this past week right now. And it's, and, and, and that's with hundreds, I think we're up to something like six or 700 user reviews, about as many as Renfield and those other uh, bigger budget films received. So, um, this is now where you guys need to be our ambassadors, that, that word of mouth. You now can, hey, people have never heard of our show or thought, I don't know, I don't trust a rated R Christian horror film. I don't believe in that. You've seen it now. So you know what it truly is. And the reviews we're going to talk about from you here the rest of this hour in a minute, I'm going to try to make them as spoiler-free as absolutely possible. If it delves into anything, I'll warn you ahead of time. But I'm going to try to see if I can work my way around so no spoilers get out there, at least for another week or two from this show. But I mean, you guys now need to be our ambassadors, our apostles, really. I mean, you take the message of this film to the people you know, and then take people you know that haven't been, you take them this week. This will be the week that we'll decide if we're going to survive, because so things are going to have to be cut. Five more movies come out this weekend, three more come out the following weekend, and then, in Gar- then, then you're going to have Guardians of the Galaxy and Super Mario Brothers in theaters at the same time, and the summer movie season gets going, and it's Lord of the Flies after that. So this is a big week for our ability to reach the general population in the theaters in America. So please continue to support our film and uh, continue to positively review it at IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, Fandango, and uh, be willing to go see it again and take people you know that haven't seen it yet. Take them with you. But thank you very much for the fact that I, I th- I'm, I've been told I'm on a very exclusive list now. People that have had a book that was a top 10 bestseller, that's Rise of the Fourth Reich, and then a movie that they produced that was a top 10 grossing movie um, at any given time. Now with Nefarious, that the list of people that have ever accomplished that is small. I'll take your word for it. It's not something I've ever researched before, but it's a pretty hella accomplishment no matter how many people are on the list. So thanks to all of you for making that happen. I can't buy all those books or buy all those tickets myself. You guys made that happen. So thank you. And with that, let's get to some reviews and we're going to do it this way. I'm just going to get to as many as possible. The rest of this hour, we would normally do an ask me anything anyway. So this is now where your, your comments are still going to dominate this hour as they do every week. But there are hundreds of people whether they wrote a check, whether they acted in this film, whether they produced it, wrote it, directed it, whether they made it happen, they filmed it, etc. Hundreds of people who endured great challenges to bring this film to you over the last few years. Financial risk, career risk, blacklisting risk, health risks, 
Our writers and directors both went to the ER with COVID pneumonia. I went to the ER with MRSA bacterial infection. I mean, everybody here took a risk to bring this film to you. And I think they deserve to see some of what I have gotten to see over the last few days from you because it's been overwhelmingly positive and powerful. And I want this hour for them, courtesy of you, to be something that they will record, bookmark, remember, so that they know there are plenty of you out there saying to them, well done, good and faithful servants. Let's start with Matt, who brings me his thoughts on several scenes that are really good, but it would spoil much of the movie, so I'm going to bypass all of that and just go to this. The most important thing that this movie has the potential to do is wake the church up to the fight that they don't believe we are having. Yes. There's two people we made this movie for. Unbelievers, who maybe truly are deceived and don't understand what it is that they are assenting to and what it will sentence them and an entire culture to by assenting to it. Especially those in Gen Z that are completely lost in all of this spirit of the age, demonic influence. But then also the church. We are going to Pleasant Valley our Sunday, or Pleasant Valley Sundays ourselves out of being able to freely worship in this country on the pace we're currently on. It is time to wake up and put on the full armor of God. So Matt, you absolutely nailed it. Four grandmotherly Catholic women watched it with me, as I won't call it a coincidence, but as a sign that many believers are coming out to support you and see this amazing movie. Some of the lines spoken by Nefarious still stick with me even now. Both leads should get awards for their performances, meaning Sean Patrick Flannery and Jordan Belfi. It's an amazing movie. Unbelievers definitely should be taken to see it. If their conscience is not pricked or convicted at all, then they just have to be completely sold out to the spirit of the age at that point. That's from Steve in Fort Wayne. Susan Lacey writes, Nefarious was everything you promised it would be. For the unaware, hopefully it opened eyes to the battle we find ourselves embroiled in. Sean and Jordan were amazing, but even more, Sean's performance generated in me an unexpected awareness of just how, listen to this is key, just how tortured the people we are in battle against must be. We played that incredibly crazy clip of Pete Buttigieg earlier, talking about racist roads. Mm-hmm. Just just peddling epistemological sewage. Just mm-hmm. literally opened his mouth, man, and like feces came out, called, you know, shaped his words. When he gets to eternity, the forces that he is speaking on behalf of are not going to say, you know what? You get the Bud Light version of, of damnation for doing our will. That's not going to happen. They hate Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg every bit as much as they hate you and me. Why? What do Pete Buttigieg and you and me have in common? We're both Imago Dei. We both carry the image. We bear the image, the, cre- the mark of the creator whom they really hate. And as Nefarious says in the movie, persecuting us is just a means to an end to get to him. 
And I think, Susan, that's what you're kind of addressing here. She writes, nobody acts with such malevolence and hatred without, without it coming from a place of horrific spiritual pain. So yes, we must stand against these schemes and the enemy, but do so while we are fighting for these souls. That's a difficult thread or needle to thread, but that is the charge. That's why we cannot put grace and truth at odds. The truth part is very easy for me. The grace, not so much. And so I need to be corrected on that front. I need to be held accountable on that front. The problem is we're in an era right now where we, we've nailed the grace thing so much that it's almost not even grace now. I mean, it's just, it's just almost sentimentalism. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's almost meaningless. It's the cheap grace that Bonhoeffer famously warned about. There's so many Christians that have a bumper sticker on like their social media or something that says, above all, be kind. Yeah. That's what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, if you're around me privately, you'll know I'm a pretty fun loving guy. But watching how we have rolled over has made me like this. I, I don't know how far over into the truth lane we need to get before we get out of balance the other way, right? A lot. I, I just know it's a long way from where we currently are, <laughs> okay? I don't know how, how I, I know it's a, long, it's a long way from where we are right now because right now we're just dispensing sentimentalism with Bible verses. That, 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 has, that has no chance, none. Your Hawaiian shirted dude has no shot here. No shot. They're laughing at him. In fact, they're going to buy him another line of Hawaiian shirts for next year. Okay? So we got to, if the, if the grace pendulum's way over here, man, we got to swing this thing more into balance. So excellent note, Susan. Thank you very much. This is from Christine Vanderwall. I saw Nefarious over the weekend. You were spot on in more ways than one. I had an adoptive son who said he was a demon and told me he was being controlled and did not have his own will. I have a recording of one conversation with him stating these things. He verbalized that he wanted to murder me multiple times and told me his plan. I was unable to get help for him and ended up relinquishing my parental rights for safety reasons. And he is now a ward of the state. I am not alone. Unfortunately, there is more, this is more common than any of us want to admit. The large majority of church leaders do not know how to help or simply don't want to get involved. I was even told by one youth pastor to allow him to listen to the demonic music and videos and not to be a Pharisee. See, this is exactly what I'm talking about right here. If this guy, me, who still probably consumes way too much of this culture's pop culture for fun and has difficulty taming his tongue is telling you, take this more seriously. Take it more seriously. Fair? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, yeah. No daughter of mine has ever worn a doily on her head and a denim skirt. That's your bag? Cool. That's never happened at the Day's household. I've been, I'm pretty moderate where pop culture and that kind of stuff comes from compared to the homeschooling family stereotype. So if I'm the one telling you, fellow believer, I I think we might want to take this stuff more seriously. Probably is a good gauge that it's time to take this stuff more seriously.
She goes on to say, my son opened a doorway and the movie was very on tar target when Nefarious explained how one is demonized. My son opened a doorway at a very young age. He did not heed the warning given by myself or my husband and was tempted, therefore, into even deeper and darker things. He's now a professing Wiccan, very involved in the occult. Judy Basinger says, Sean Patrick Flannery did a spectacular job as Edward and Nefarious. He definitely deserves an Oscar for his performance. I have told my, she even in the next comment would spoil it, so I won't say anything. Although, I, a lot of you wrote me about a cheeseburger this weekend. Mm -hmm. A lot of you did. <laughs> okay. All right. I had not even just women, I had grown men say, dude, I cried in the theater over the cheeseburger. All right. When you see the movie, you'll know what we're talking about. And that, that's something I didn't see coming. We got more, I'm, I got more notes about the cheeseburger and just about anything else. Okay. So, but I don't want to spoil that. So I won't bring up anything more from Judy's note, but she goes on to say, I've told my rectors, friends and family to see the movie. My sister love it, loves it and thinks every person should see it. See, you guys are now, you're the ambassadors. Now we, we have blown the proverbial wad. We have, we, we saved a, a, a little bit left over of our marketing budget for when we get to the video on demand portion and everything. But theatrically, I've got a couple more big guns. I'm going to be on with Mongino this week. I'll be on with Phil Robertson tomorrow. Those guys have massive audiences, but we have, we've, we've taken our shot from a marketing standpoint for the most part for this theatrical. So now this needs to go viral and you guys need to be our, our word of mouth. So thank you for that. Uh, Judy, really appreciate it. Matt writes, Congratulations on Nefarious. I took my parents and my mom clutched her crucifix necklace almost the whole time. She was shaken, but in a good way. The next day, another member of her women's Bible study group emailed everyone suggesting they go see it. They've already made plans to discuss the movie after class and are considering a group outing for those who have not yet seen it. I never would have imagined my 76-year-old Catholic mom seeing a movie like this, never, never mind meeting her friends to discuss it, but that's a testament to its relevance and impact. Thank you. Again, you guys are the you guys are the ambassadors now. You guys are the apostles now. Luke writes, every Christian needs to see Nefarious because 99% of the world is a lot more like Edward than they are like my nice, sheltered, blessed, middle-class, relatively peaceful Christian life. And what does he mean by that? That they're either at some stage of Edward's devolution, either flirting with the darkness, tempted by it. Why did we label our movie a horror movie, even though many of you, after you've seen it, realize it's not really a horror movie. It's really more of a psychological thriller morality play. You want to know why we labeled it a horror movie? Because we're trying to reach Nineveh. Last year, the number one movie genre of films that Hollywood released was horror, and it wasn't even close. 31 of them. 31 horror movies released by Hollywood last year. 31. How many and and for every, you know, film in James Wan's Conjuring universe that at least approaches or mentions some kind of redemptive path in this space, 99% of the rest of them don't. It's just darkness. And the redemptive path is maybe you got away at the end while all kinds of carnage was still wreaked on everybody around you. That's the redemptive ending, maybe. This year, counting our film that we labeled horror for marketing purposes, 35 of them are scheduled to come out. Many of them don't even have yet release dates. Now, they're not making all these monies, all these movies because they like losing money. This is where the next generation is. 
They're not at our picnics. They're not at our service projects with our youth group. Nothing wrong with that. Do this, do all the service projects you can, but it can't end there. You have to go where the battle is hottest. And so Luke is right. Most of our countrymen are somewhere on the path of being demonized that Edward was. Maybe they're just tinkering with it, toying with it, playing with a Ouija board, seeing movies about Ouija boards every now and then, that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Or maybe they have just been completely given over. But they're somewhere on that path because there's no neutrality. So you're either flirting with that path or you're flirting with the, the narrow one. There's only two paths. There's no neutral ground in the middle. Renee Taylor says, I, my daughter, 21-year-old granddaughter, and her fiancé went to the movie. My daughter had been involved in black magic prior to turning back to Christ and was very emotionally affected by the film. She said that during her time on the wrong side, she had been confronted by a demon and physically even hurt, and Christ saved her. She, she felt very sorry for Eddie. Your movie invokes some strong emotions that got my family thinking that it's about all that is happening right now. My name is Blake Hopping. I'm from a small town here in Iowa. I just saw your movie and I can't get your book or the movie out of my mind. For a while now, I have been on the wrong track in life, giving into the worldview that is in today's society. However, because of the book in this film uh, and your show, that has begun to change. God has called you men to speak truth to a lost world. And I thank you for that. My dream one day is to have a career like what you guys do, speaking truth. Thank you again. Thank you, Blake. Dave says, all I can say is when does the sequel come out? All of us would love to make a sequel. You know how after you've been in the ring with Mike Tyson in his prime, you don't just like have another boxing match like a month or two or a week later. You know what I'm saying? Like the, sometimes you fight like twice a year because you need the re recovery time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? All of us want to do, in fact, we have a killer sequel and prequel idea lined up. If we could, if this is profitable enough that the investment is there to continue it on. But it's good. We're all going to need a bit of a break. Okay. I, I just, I showed you guys the picture this morning of what I looked like in the ER a week ago, last Monday night. I just, I've taken a lot of punches, man. We all have. I'm sorry. Am I, if, am I a wuss if I'm like, I, I just think I need a halftime. I might need a break. Fair enough. I just need a break. Is that okay to need it a break? Is. Okay. And I know I'm not the only one that needs a break. <laughs> all of us do. We are anxious to get back into the arena again. Just not right away. <laughs> um, Jana writes, Dr. James is, obvi is obvious to believers. Weak conviction on anything. Goes with the woke narrative. Prayerful, his flawed worldview wakes some people up. Nefarious is obvious evil. Prayerful believers and non-believers see the power in his lies. Edward is another obvious empty vessel that will be filled with the evil spirit. And through your film, prayerful believers see the need to be truly filled with the Holy Spirit to keep evil spirits out. And I pray believers who saw this amazing film did not miss the important elements of Edward's family. 
Likely no one in his life loved him enough to give him the truth, even if they knew what it was. Right, his grandmother's the one that gives him the Ouija board originally, right? Just Eddie being Eddie. Yeah, just Eddie being Eddie, just playing with toys. All the institutions, and, the, and, and we just went through a nefarious plot, the book, and, and nefarious points this out. All the institutions, and we say that, we think of the, like the governmental public ones, right? Okay. We're talking down to the granular level, starting with the most basic of institutions, a marriage and a family. All of the institutions that we created in this society to keep forces like nefarious out have fallen. That you can't even trust now your own family to vanguard you against such things, if not even introduce them to you. I I love my grandmother to death. I, my grandma Myrna spoiled me to death. I loved her to death. And I mean, I brought my pastor to her on her deathbed for her to confess Christ. That all being said, the reason why I know so much about horror movies and the occult and all this stuff is she introduced me to it at a very young age because she was into it. I mean, if you want to know what, why Steve Dace is on edge all the time, little Stevie got doped up on Archway sugar cookies and watched Salem's Lot with his grandma. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. So I, I, you know, I'm aware of this. And many of us are. Thankfully, there is an institution that, that was uniquely charged with stepping into such voids, right? It's called the... Church. Church. That is supposed to stand in the gap when other institutions, even of the best of human intention, fail. We're not doing that. And that's why we didn't make a God's Got You Bro movie. We made a Wake Up and Smell the Napalm film. More in a moment. Friends, hard to trust anything these days, or anyone for that matter. And then we were just talking about, you know, how our institutions have failed us as a society. So are we prepared for the worst? One way to find out, having a solid supply of emergency food and water on hand. Right now, My Patriot Supply is making a special offer to help you do exactly that. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and get the three-month emergency food kit, plus a free family-sized water filtration system so you can have clean water to drink and cook with should it go down again. Your three-month food kit gives you a wide variety of delicious meals, over 2,000 calories a day, including even drinks and snacks. All right, plus order today and get a free Alexa Pure Pro Gravity-powered water filtration system. That's about a $280 value as a bonus gift. So your food and free water, water filter will arrive at your doorstep in discreet boxes and with free shipping. With free shipping, when you go to MyPatriotSupply.com, once again, that's MyPatriotSupply.com. All right, more reaction to Nefarious. My 19-year-old son and I just watched a movie, and I wanted to send you a long-distance dis- long standing ovation from the depths of hell here in California. 
in the car on the way home, my son was still talking about the movie and said it made so many points that are not refutable by any honest person. And this from a kid who usually finds a lot of points to argue against almost anything, especially if I'm the one sharing it. Welcome to parenthood. <laughs> okay. Um, he'll be talking it up to his tough guy coworkers this week and hopefully get more viewers in the theaters. That is from Karen and Chase. Thank you to both of you. Uh, my husband and I, along with our pastor, just watched Nefarious at a local theater in Nampa, Idaho. What a fantastic and powerful movie. We have been recommending this movie, and now we're spreading the word. That is from Kathy. Uh, I wanted to mention this. Um, my friend wanted to know... Um, my, my friend wanted to know why the name of Jesus was never specifically cited in the film. That is from Amy Moore Leonard in Kansas city, Missouri. Um, I get, I have gotten this question a few times. Here's, here's my answer without spoiling anything in the movie. A high Lord of hell admits in the film, looks into the camera and says to everybody who can watch it or see it. A high Lord of hell admits, quote, the cross was our greatest mistake. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. And maybe I'm just wired differently, but there's no greater victory chant than hearing the lamentations of your enemies. I mean, they're, 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 they're nothing. Nothing like that. When was the last time you went to a film, Christian or otherwise, and a character that is a high lord of hell admits, you kicked our ass. Said, said something as momentous and reverential as, quote, the cross was our greatest mistake. I don't know that I've ever seen it in a film. Also, in talking about himself, but Nefarious says, names have power. Yeah. Well, Yeshua translated means God saves. Yes. He's not going to say that He's over Saying and over that again. name is, is anathema to him. Yeah. Yes. But you did get him to admit to you, we lost there. The movie was exactly what I thought it would be. My favorite scene was, uh, gosh, I can't wait to talk about this scene with the priest. Okay, I cannot yep. wait to talk about this scene. All right. Not yet, though. Still too many people haven't seen it yet. I'm hoping. Okay. So... But we could do an entire show on that scene. Yeah. I mean, like the whole two-hour podcast could be on that scene and, and what it represents. Okay. So um, I'm very proud of that scene. I mean, oh, so, so much of what of the writing and, and, and stuff, it, Carrie and Chuck get, deserve and get all the credit for. The biggest suggestion I made, which they took, and then they did a great job writing it out, was that scene. And I am anxious to talk about it more in depth. There's just no way of doing it without taking away the impact of it when you see it for yourself for the first time. And it would be criminal for me to do that. So I will wait. Kelly Vitorino, 
Just watched Nefarious today and really, really enjoyed every minute. It's a powerful, important film for the times we are currently in. I wish you and all involved the most success God is willing to give. Sean Patrick's Flannery's performance was absolutely stellar. Thank you. I just wanted to say it was evident that you and the directors did your research on demonic possessions and levels of diabolical influence. The acting was superb, especially from Sean Patrick Flannery and Jordan Belfi. Then he asked me a question that I cannot answer yet that a lot of you have asked me about the ending. And I can't answer it yet without possibly spoiling it. And I don't want to do that yet. There is something about experiencing this film for the first time, even for me. Even, you know, I knew the script and everything else, but still experiencing watching the rough cut before the music and all the stuff that you see now. Um, what it does to you the first time, I don't want to take any of that away from anybody. Thank you, Steve, for creating the nefarious character and, and all of you that battle through the spiritual warfare to get this to the people. Nefarious is perfect for showing some painful truth to today's culture. Stephanie Granger, thank you. My immediate takeaway from the film is that Satan hates me because God loves me. That's, that's the whole book in nefarious plot in one sentence. The problem is nobody buys one-sentence books unless they're written by Michael Knowles, apparently. <laughs> what, was that? what was that book he wrote a few years ago? Reasons to Vote Democrat, and it was blank. Everything was a blank page. Gosh, that's freaking brilliant, man. I got to give it up, man. Those guys over there at the Daily Wire know how to do guerrilla marketing, man. They freaking have that part figured out, okay? Damn it. But that's brilliant, all right? Reasons to Vote Democrat, and it's an entire book of blank pages that is something whether it's that or the freaking stupid razors all the time like man i wish we had thought of that okay um but yeah cindy that's the point when 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 they tempt you to have that other drink right before you get you're gonna get behind the wheel there's a re that's why they don't sit there and say but just hey understand you might run somebody over you might get pulled over and your life might end you might end up in a one-car accident and end your life. They don't, they don't throw that part in there, do they? No. no. But to say, hey, stay, have another drink, have a good time, drive home later. The, the reason why they don't ever present the flip side of temptation is because they hate us. They're not giving us a neutral proposition, you know, count the cost, weigh and measure, you know, the cause and effect here. You're getting a one-sided presentation to damnation, destruction, because you're right. Satan hates you because God loves you. That's it right there. I got to tell you, Cindy, that's one of the most profound things I think's ever been said on this show by anybody, us, an emailer, a guest. It's just as simple as that. I live in Wax Waxahachie, Texas. I just said that because I wanted to see if I could come close to saying it right. Uh, and I just came back from watching Nefarious. It's a brilliant movie, simplistic, profound. It could even be made into a stage play one day. The actors were perfectly cast. I also thought it was a wise decision to include Glenn Beck in the film. I've talked to other patrons in the theater after the movie ended. They all liked it too. And we all hope we live to see the sequel one day. That's from Elizabeth. Thank you. It's interesting, my wife, having seen it now a couple different times, 
the first one in your presence at your home. And she said the the whole Glenn Beck part of the movie affected her in a different way. She said, I was kind of exhausted by the time we got to that. Mm -hmm. And I, it, it, I realized it was lost on me. And now having seen it a second time, she said that thing was much more, uh, powerful to her so my point being i've seen it three times and it it is it keeps elevating me as well because you 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 have new doors open to you in ways uh where the movie can it's like scripture it Mm -hmm. really it it really is because there's so much going on later on when i'm not gonna risk you know spoiling it for people in the second only at second week of theatrical release we I will we'll get into the discussions more about why some of the things were in there, what they symbolize, mm-hmm. what they mean. The Beck scene, for example, was one of the most discussed things among us uh, in the making of the film, and I'll explain. One of the, one of the challenges of this film is similar to the challenge of the book. I was really challenged with how to end the book. I did not want it to end nihilistically. But in the end, I was either writing a polemic that came from a demon or I was not. Mm -hmm. The movie is not intended to be a polemic from a demon. It's a polemic about one. Okay. Um, And so, you know, we don't want to undermine the character. The the name of the movie is Nefarious. So he's the character and the movie is about him, just not all about him. So he deserves an ending that him having the title on the marquee signifies Mm -hmm. okay on the other hand we didn't want to leave the audience feeling empty at the end either you know and i literally put in my deal no cheesy conversion scenes so how are we gonna man now i've said this i've said this a lot today there's a lot of needle threading going on right now (laughs) we threaded about 16 needles to make this movie um so uh catherine says nefarious shook me to the core brilliantly acted and powerfully messaged On a lighter note, who dresses Glenn? He needs a new stylist. Now, hey, man, Glenn's stylist is a thing. I only read this part because one of the funny things that happened on the day that we shot Glenn's scenes is the night before one of his people, I don't know who, came to my movie directors with some options of, hey, here's some things he's thinking about wearing, you know, given what you guys are looking for, pick one. And, And they did. All right. They show up the next day to film his scene. He's not wearing that or any of the stuff that, that they had picked, okay? So one of the funnier, I, I will, uh, no, because that would spoil it too. Dang it, I can't tell you that, so no. I can't tell you that. Remind me, eh, I, I, no, I can't, I can't, so. Man, in a few weeks, when more of you have seen this, we're going to have some fun conversations about this. Uh, Mark writes, absolutely amazing performances from Sean and Jordan. It's an inspired distillation of your book. The movie continues to haunt me two days later. To see the truth proclaimed in such bold strokes is quite remarkable. This film will outlive you and maybe all of us. It is a it leaves a spiritual marker for those who follow. That is incredible. Thank you. And I've heard from so many people since I started screening it. I'm still thinking about this movie a day later, two days later. I had a buddy of mine email me a month after he saw it at the Michigan screening with aspects of it he was still thinking of. My husband and I talked about the film together for hours afterwards. Sean Patrick Flannery's performance was truly epic. There really aren't words to give it justice. That's from Catherine Chapdelaine, I think is how that's pronounced. Thank you, Catherine. 
Congratulations on an excellent piece of filmmaking. It looks like the critics hate it, but I guess the folks hated The Carpenter. Those folks hated The Carpenter first. Everything about the movie was excellent. Screenplay, acting, set, cinematography, etc. As to that, I don't know if there will be a film this year that has the that, that will be released this year that has the chasm between what the critics are saying about it and what the public is saying. Even by Christian movie standards, this is something, okay? So right now on Rotten Tomatoes, when we came on the air, we were at 23% among, I think it was eight or nine critics had reviewed it, and we're at 98% with hundreds of user reviews from actual people. That's crazy, okay? I mean, I, I, that's... Even again, by movies yes, that right. promote our worldview, that is, that's a massive chasm. I guarantee you many more critics have reviewed it, and they've decided to do what many people on the right and the left have done with you, and just put you in Hope your box it just stays there. and walk away, because yeah. what they have to admit, there's not even a lot of Christians, they, they knew, somebody actually wrote an email, I, I saw it, like they, they knew the message would be good, their biggest worry was, will the movie be good? Yep. A lot of the critics have, this is a very good movie. You That's why the, the ones that have hated it, they all attack they the message. Yeah. 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 Or they, they just won't say anything because they yeah. don't even want to give it that. Yep. Well done, says Scott. Or as we say in the Coast Guard, Brava Zulu. Thank you. Acting was over the top, masterful. Um, great bridge from the screw tape letters to a nefarious plot. Um, amazing movie and well done. That is from CJ. Thank you. The movie is great. Greatness, says James Spoonmore. Thank you. Just saw Nefarious in Lakeland, Florida. In fairness, I don't go to the theater often. But the movie was absolutely riveting. I've, I've got major ADD and usually need to crochet during a movie to keep from getting antsy. But you kept my attention the entire time. Phenomenal work, Amy Lowell. That's for those of you that, are, that made this movie that are listening to this. That's a tip of the cap right there here's another one you know i've joked with amy privately my wife over the last few years i'm gonna start a segment with her called amy's narcoleptic movie reviews the movie is strictly determined if it's good or not by her her ability to stay awake throughout the entire thing okay she has not fallen asleep during nefarious one time that might be the best review the movie has gotten yet another guy wrote to me that the movie scared the pants off his wife and they both benefited from that afterwards <laughs> There's just no. Is that the, is that the best possible endorsement for the film? My soon-to-be 13-year-old, my youngest daughter, I, I I thought she might actually be bored until things got really really intense because it's so dialogue-driven. Mm -hmm. She she said I was never bored, and and the end you know goes you know took took everybody uh, for a ride. But I that's the thing. It it you said it will not. What's the way, how the way you put it? Well, it's not what you think it is. It's you not what you Luke, think it is. Luke, your yeah. Luke Skywalker version. Yeah. And I just think it, there's so many different people from different walks of life. I, I rarely see movies. I see movies all the time, but none of them end up finding what they thought they were going to find. Mm -hmm. Well, we're out of time. I mean, I, I could have done an, I could have done a couple of shows. There are there's so many of these. I cannot respond to them all. There's hundreds of them. I've created their own folder for them and my email to save, to hold, keep, uh, and cherish forever. I'm going to share them, uh, you know, with as much of our, our, our crew and our team as I possibly can. If I didn't get back to you, please know uh, to each and every one of you, I read them all. And you're still sending them and I'm still reading them. And 
I, I'm just very blessed and very touched and very thankful to each and every one of you. And now, now that we lived up to the hype and did our job, now we need you to do yours and spread the word about this film so it can survive in the theaters for another week or two. That's going to be up to you guys now via word of mouth. So please help us carry the banner from here. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.